This is Table Talk with the Greenville House of Prayer, where we set the table for Christian conversations that explore the Scripture, promote prayer, and seek to edify the body of Christ. For more information about Greenville House of Prayer or to contact us, please visit our website at ghopsc.org or connect with us on Facebook at Greenville House of Prayer. Now for today's broadcast. Welcome to another episode of Table Talk with the Greenville House of Prayer. My name's Curtis Carr. We're glad that you've tuned in today. We're excited about today's broadcast. We have a special guest with us today. We got Representative Jonathan Hill. Jonathan, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Curtis, for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited about this this conversation. Jonathan represents District 8 in the South Carolina House of Representatives. And we've got a lot we want to talk about, um, particularly want to talk about a bill that he submitted uh, this year as H4046, which is the South Carolina Unborn Victims of Violence Act of 2021. Uh, so we want to spend some time talking about that. If you followed us for any time, you know that one of our prayer focuses, we have several focuses that we feel like the Lord's called us to, to focus on in the place of prayer and intercession uh, with the Greenville House of Prayer. One of those is abortion, and specifically seeing abortion ended in our area. We want it to be unthinkable and, and even unavailable in our, in our area uh, from a, a moral and righteous standpoint, and we want to see life celebrated and life preserved in all stages. And um, we believe that you know, politics and legislation is an important role in that. Uh, it sets a moral s- standard for our society, and so... Uh, we want to hear what, what Jonathan has put on the table and, and how maybe we can come alongside him and, and support him in that. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk about that uh, maybe in a future episode. You can find all of our episodes um, on our website and on all major podcasting platforms. You just search Table Talk with G-Hop on most of your major podcasting platforms. You can also visit us uh, at our website at ghop, G-H-O-P-S-C dot org. And you'll find all the links there. We'd love for you to connect with us there. Connect with us on Facebook at the Greenville House of Prayer. You can stay up to date with all of our worship and prayer gatherings and the various initiatives that we have going on here in the local Greenville area. Um, so, Jonathan, before we jump in talking about you know some of those particular legislation, we love to hear just whenever we have guests, just hear their heart, hear their story, um, you know their their faith journey, and then how you, you came to find yourself in the position you're in. Uh, today and the work that you're doing today. So, well, it's been quite the journey, yeah. Curtis, um, and I appreciate the question. Um, and you only have two minutes to tell us yeah, your, right. whole life, your whole life story. <laughs> well, right? fortunately, it's 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 uh, it's fairly uh, to the point here. But you know, I, I came to know the Lord uh, at the tender age of five, wow. as uh, as some do. Um, my uh, my parents were both Christians who came to know the Lord as young adults themselves. Do you have a vivid memory of that age? You know, I don't. Yeah, there I don't was know. a time yeah. when I did, yeah. but I'm 36 now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, because I don't really remember when I was five. But right, yeah. right. But I I know that, I know the exact date. It was April 1st, uh, 1990, and, um, wow. you know, that was, um, I wrote that down in the front cover of my first Bible that I had, and, and, I, and I took it very seriously. I, I was aware of the decision I was making at the time, and... One of the things that has, has really stuck with me through the years is is the passage that says, Whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. Mm-hmm. 
be zealous, therefore, and repent, says the Lord. And uh, I can tell you that it's I have been... It's not necessarily the life verse that most people I cling to, you know? I have been whooped <laughs> way too many times by the God Almighty and our Heavenly Father to, to doubt who I belong to. Yeah. That, and that is, the, that is the honest truth. Wow, yeah. And you mentioned your dad was a pastor. He was a pastor, yeah. yes. He was a Southern Baptist uh, pastor for about 15 years. Uh, I grew up in rural Donald, South Carolina, where he pastored for, the, for 12 years. And I um, have a lot of memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, did you stay? Did you grow up all in in South Carolina and Donald? You know, I, I was I was born in Anderson, and um, you know, pretty much grew up in Donalds, and then we moved back to the Townville area. Oh, I don't know. I guess maybe ten, fifteen years ago, uh, something like that. And uh, that was like coming home yeah. for our entire family, to be honest, because um, you know, I have very deep family roots out in the Townville area, and. Um, so it was nice to be back out there. It's a beautiful part of the country, uh, wet on Western Anderson County, on on the shores of Hartwell Lake, and um, it, it's it's been nice to call the call the area home. Yeah. So tell us about your professional journey, you know, and and maybe your, your yeah. schooling or you know what. Well, that I, looked I've like. always um, been a little unconventional in how I do things, and and I credit my parents. For that, for starters, we were homeschooled. I'm the oldest yeah. of six kids. We were all homeschooled from the very beginning. And um, partly by choice and partly by uh, financial necessity, uh, college was never really an option for me. Um, I'm, I might have took the opportunity to go to MIT or something like that. That was the only college that had any passing interest for me. But, you know, I was interested in computers and, yeah. and how things work from a very, very young age. And um, so I, you know, we got a family computer, and um, parents just basically turned me loose on that thing. Said, yeah. you know, you break it, you fix it, but go for it. And that was the beginning of, of now, my how, career. Now, how old did you say? You said you were 30? I'm 36, 36 now. 36, okay. So um, I'm 35. So I remember kind of yeah. – how old were you when you got your first computer? And no, man, you're what? asking me to do math. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it was – it would have been around 1997, 1998. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so – uh, it was is a dinosaur by today's terms. Well, and that, that our generation is yeah. kind of the you know we grew up with that shift a That's little right. bit, and That's everybody right. behind us knew that shift. But I remember vividly that you know starting that journey and the dial up and all of the progression. You know, right, we're definitely the on the old end of the millennial yeah, generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but um, but yeah, I mean, and it was one of the things that uh, where I was profoundly influenced by my dad, and, and he told me he said, Jonathan, don't ever. Uh, think that you have to do things the way everyone else is doing it. And actually, yeah. there's a lot of wisdom in that, because if you don't like the results, if you look around in the world and you don't like what's going on out there, maybe we should think about maybe doing trying something different, doing yeah. something different. Um, and that's that certainly has uh, influenced um, my entry into politics as well. But um, yeah, I taught myself uh, software development. I've worked uh, for myself and for a number of companies, startups, um, done product development in a number of, in a number of settings from Atlanta to Silicon Valley. Yeah. So how did how did you get interested in politics, and what was that progression like? Yeah, uh, fairly grudgingly, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, I was not interested in politics growing up. So you weren't like a big history no, guy was that not. was like, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I had some interest in history, and, and, you know, we did a pretty good job learning history uh, as we were homeschooling growing up. Read a lot of books. Um my sister, though. But it wasn't an aspiration at a young age. No, so, no, yeah, it wasn't. Okay. My sister is a history buff. She's the history buff of the family. Uh, Hannah, she lives out in Colorado now. But um, 
you know, for me, I was, I was the, the geek, the nerd in the family, you know, um, the, the technician, the mechanic. And, um, but, but the thing is, I began to realize as a, as a youngster growing up that most people don't try. They don't get involved. And our family was really not an exception to that growing up. I mean, our, the extent of our political involvement was to go every four years and vote, you know, in November in the presidential election. Maybe we'd mm-hmm. watch the presidential debates leading up to that, and it was kind of a big family event. We'd bring out the popcorn and the treats and watch the election returns come in. You know, that was the big event every four years. And that was it. That was the extent of it. And we began to realize that there's so much more going on and there's so much more that we the people need to be doing than just voting in the presidential election. Mm-hmm. And as I began to realize how few people do it, um, you know, another thing that our parents raised us with was this strong encouragement to towards initiative. You know, we learned not to complain growing up. If we complained, we got put to work. Do something about <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that, that really was how I ended up getting involved in politics. It's around 2008, um, you know, the uh, that was the Obama race, and the the on the, you know the Tea Party came into its own during that time, and I, I started a group called the Anderson Tea Party in my area, uh, organized some stuff, and um, the rest is history. Was it a were there a particular issue or issues that really drove you, you know, to and that year we gravitated to towards the Mike Huckabee campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a uh, very well known as being a friend of homeschoolers in, in uh, Arkansas and, and was a man of upstanding character and, mm-hmm. you know, had written uh, some books about his experiences there. Um, and so um, that was that was kind of the initial thing. But then with, when the Obamacare fight kicked off, um, mm-hmm. I ended up going to Washington, D.C. on several occasions with uh, Tea Party Patriots and Jenny Beth Martin and a number of others that participated in that, going to Washington, D.C. for the massive 1.3 million person march on Washington in 2009 um, just gave, gave me a lot of unforgettable memories and, and began to realize that, look, we're not alone. Yeah. We're not alone out there in America and things don't have to be the way they are. Yeah. So I, I was actually in the gallery when Obamacare was passed, when Nancy Pelosi passed her bill that we weren't allowed to read, until, read. They, <laughs> until, they, yeah. until they passed it. And I saw the applause. I was sitting in the gallery and this is after you know, several days of them avoiding us very intentionally. We, you know, if you wanted to talk to a representative or senator, you had to chase them down and catch them in the halls. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying to get away from you, and they're trying not to talk to you. Um, they were locking their do- office doors illegally. That's against the rules for the Republican and Democrat. Both, both yeah. parties, yeah. Mm. Um, so it was, uh, and that was the year when uh, <laughs> Harry Reid went on national television and said you could smell the tourists in the Capitol. He was talking about us. Um, those, that, pe- those peasants stink. And, and I, I just, you know, I came away from that experience not feeling like one of we the people, not feeling yeah. like our leaders, our government officials respect us anymore. And I began to realize that it's actually so much deeper than that. It's not just that they don't respect the people, but also they don't respect their oath of office. And that's because they don't believe in God. They don't mm. believe that there's anyone that's going to the hold them accountable authority. to that. Yeah. Uh, they don't believe there are any limitations on their lawmaking abilities. Uh, and so often, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat, whether it's national or state, you see that attitude playing out where elected officials are like, well, who's going to stop us? Yeah. What are you going to do about it? You know, like we're the ones in charge and we get to do what we want. And that's an age old attitude of a tyrant. But that is not the attitude that is befitting of a Christian in politics. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I would even say early politics, even if you weren't a a practicing Christian, you still understood the principle of a higher authority, whether it was a Christian right. God or not, that there was that moral foundation and underpinning to our founding documents and the way that the system of government was set up. Um, and yeah, that's a deeper topic. We want to get in. I want to get into like, how do we get back to that? Or is it even possible to get back to that with a culture that completely denies a, uh, a sovereign, you know, authority? Um, but first, tell me how you got into running and how long you've been in, in office and all that. Yeah, so uh, from 2009 to 2012, I uh, volunteered and did a lot of stuff, organized events and everything. And then uh, despite all my efforts, um, Obama went back into office. Uh, Obamacare was passed and went into effect. All these things happened, and I just ended 2012 with such despair and discouragement, quite honestly. I, I actually walked away from politics. Hmm. It was it was that that bad. I, I've experienced burnout. I know what that feels like. I know what leads leads to it. And um, towards the end of 2013, um, it was like I, I I heard that inner voice from God, you know, just like, Jonathan, how many more ways am I going to have to prepare you for you to do what you know you're supposed to be doing right now? And I was like, all right, God. Mm-hmm. All right. And I began, you know, to um, look for a path forward back into politics. And, and it was at that point that I decided that, um, well, <laughs> it's time to try something different. The one th- I've tried everything up to that point in politically uh, from the outside, and the one thing I hadn't tried was running for office myself. And the timing ended up being right for me to do so. And uh, lo and behold, I ended up uh, going up against a Republican uh, state house incumbent who had lobbied Obama for $2 billion for South Carolina, came back, blew it uh, in the budget, just just blew it on project after project, and then came to our Republican convention and bragged about it. And I looked the guy in the eye and I tell him, said, Don, I did not ask you to do that. I did not want you to do that. I don't know why you think I that I would it, like yeah. the fact yeah, that yeah, you did yeah. that. Um, and, of course, I ended up running against him and, and uh, won that race with 57% of the vote, which shocked, wow. shocked how me and he, shocked everyone else. How long had he been in office? If, if you're just tuning in, we're here with Representative Jonathan Hill, who represents District 8 in the South Carolina State House. Um, he was just sharing you know, a little bit of his story of how he came to faith and, and getting called into politics and his journey of politics and how he first got into office. So, uh, And if you've, you've missed our previous episodes, you can find them on our website at ghopsc.org or on your major podcasting platforms, uh, searching Table Talk at GHOP. So how long had he been in office when you— He had been in office for eight years him? by the time I challenged okay. him in 2014. And um, Going you know, into it, was there, did you realize— did, were the odds stacked against you? They How did absolutely you feel? are. Yeah. Anytime yeah. you're you're going up and against an established incumbent, uh, the odds are against you. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody knew who Jonathan Hill was. It, you know, some people knew who Don Bowen was at the time, um, and you know, and and so I uh, campaigned the old-fashioned way, uh, the old-fashioned way, the way politics used to be run in South Carolina, and I, I think things are maybe starting to return back in this direction. Was I just knocked on? so many doors in the district. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, between my family and myself, we all total knocked on 4,000 doors uh, that year during the during the primary campaign, and, and we won. Um, how many By how many votes, roughly? Um, I don't remember the vote totals. The, the percentage was 57%. Okay. Yeah. Just curious what that 
what that quantity of votes. Yeah, but is, I mean, yeah. typically in a Republican state house primary uh, in South Carolina, you you have anywhere from thirty five hundred to, to yeah. five thousand people right. voting. So it's usually a very small yeah. number of people yeah. that are making the difference, even in that. So and that's more of an emphasis to and you know your vote matters. If it you're does listen, matter if you're yeah. listening, especially in those primaries, those local elections, your vote matters and. Uh, too often, those are the ones that people sit out on the most. And they are, yeah. they really are. And um, you know, like I said, our family was no exception. For so many years, we'd show up to the polls, and you know, soil water commissioner, who's that? I, yeah. I don't know who I'm voting for there. I'll just, I guess, I'll just pick one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not acceptable. Yeah. That's not okay. Yeah. Um, every position matters. It's it is incumbent on us as we the people to, and 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 quite honestly, before God Almighty. Yeah, we have say in our government, and we are going to give an account to God for who we vote for. Yeah, yeah. In addition to the politicians themselves, and so I think um, I, I really want to see a return to personal responsibility and a connectedness to the gospel. I mean, um, I, I went into office in 2014, and uh, I had a I had a local uh, God fearing Christian judge uh, swear me in, and then I had a local pastor. Um, deliver a, a charge, a, a, a mini sermon at that event, and, and and I just wanted to set the tone for why I'm in office, why I'm doing this, what this is about, and really it's about, you know, my mission as I see it in office has been from day one to remind my colleagues that they're not God. Mm-hmm. Because for the last decade plus, I've watched our state legislators behave as if they think that no one sees and no one cares hmm. and no one's going to hold them accountable but hmm. we've got to be reminding them and you know I, I do see politics increasingly as a forgotten mission field where we should very directly and explicitly be confronting politicians with the truth of God's word and saying as um, you know as, as John the Baptist told Herod Antipas uh, so many years ago you cannot have her mm-hmm and and I can just hear Herod Antipas going, well, who do you think I am? I'm, I'm the king. Who are you to tell me uh, who I can't have and who I can't have? And uh, unfortunately, that's, that's, that is exactly the attitude that so many of our politicians have these days. And I think it's even more important in our form of government, the way that our form of government has been set up, that the responsibility is more so applied to the citizens, the citizens and uh, that will be held accountable before God, as you said, for for not owning that responsibility. And you know, people often like to quote the you know Romans thirteen, mm-hmm. subject subject yourself to the governing authorities. Right. But in our form of government, we're the governing authorities. We are the government. Such a key point, Such a key point. So think about it. Um, f- follow this reasoning. What is the highest law of the land? Constitution. It is the Constitution, yeah. right? The U.S. Constitution specifically is yeah. over over the state constitutions, over everything. No law is higher than that as far as our government institutions are concerned. Uh, who's over the Constitution? God. Well, yes, God. <laughs> but what does the Constitution say? The Constitution says in the pre- preamble, "We the people right. yeah, do yeah, ordain yeah. and establish this Constitution." In Article Five of the Constitution. Only we, the people, are have the authority to approve changes to the Constitution. So Congress can can propose changes, a convention can propose changes, but only we, the people, are authorized to approve those changes. Hmm. Um, and they don't go into effect unless we unless we approve them. And so um, that means that at the end of the day, um, 
the politicians that exist in our country, that exist in our state, that exist in our towns, and the laws that they make, the policies that they make, whether you like them or not, whether they're just or not, they may not be your fault, but they are absolutely your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because that is the form of government which we have in the land in which we live. And essentially what is there has is, is been allowed by the people, right? That's so, exactly yeah. right. And the politicians, they rely on the people who vote for them. They do. Mm-hmm. And as a result, uh, they are not free agents. There is not a politician alive in the United States of America that is a totally free agent. They're, they just don't exist. Mm-hmm. And that's good politicians, bad politicians alike. That's true. It's universally true. And that's because you have to run for office and you have to get elected. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I really think that um, it's it's time for God's people who, who fear him to show by deeds of repentance uh, their obedience to God. You know, so often we think of prayer as the primary act of repentance, but I, I don't believe that's that's what the Scripture would have us to believe. Prayer is a sign of sure, repentance, yeah. but action is the, is the fruit of that repentance. Yeah, you mentioned John the Baptist. He said, bear fruits worthy of repentance, that is, that's right? exactly yeah. what he said. Yep. Yeah, so there's there's got to be some action to that faith mm-hmm. and uh yeah that's so so how do you um you've been in office now how long what seven years now so yeah seven years um going on eight okay yeah um and do, do you feel more encouraged or less encouraged with in light of what we just talked about i mean do you feel like there's movement towards that do you feel or do you feel like it's a you know curtis a, a hopeless battle or you know probably far more aware than most people are of just how bad things are. Yeah. And simultaneously, I've never been more optimistic in my life. Yeah. And that is because um, I understand what can be done, what the people can do. I see a path towards doing it. But even more than that, I realize that our metric of success is not getting a Republican in office. Mm -hmm. It's not repealing a bad law. It's, you know, it's not any of those things that we, humanly speaking, tend to gravitate towards as measures of success. My measure of success is nothing more than this, and that is simply to glorify God. And we can fight a fight, and we can lose that fight, humanly speaking, and we can glorify God in the process. Mm-hmm. There is literally no way for us to lose if that's our perspective. And beyond that, you know, think about uh, David and Goliath. You know, we serve a God who's big enough to fell a giant with one little small rock to the head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those those stories are in our Bible for a reason. And I have seen many situations just in the last 10 years here in South Carolina of shocking and surprising and unexpected things happening. And I think that the next year or two are going to have more events like that uh, as we watch some things play out. So God's people need to show up to the fight. And we need to rebuke the politicians for defying the Almighty God because that's exactly what they've been doing, just like Goliath did, uh, defying the, the, the Almighty God. And we need to call uh, ourselves, we need to call our politicians to repentance and, uh, and faith in Christ, and we need to stop looking to government to solve all our problems. Yeah, I think that's a big, a big point. Is what, and you mentioned that not just as important as it is to to have the right legislation and to have the right people in place and to win those uh, those party, that's not enough. And, and I 
saw on your website, you know, your, some of your philosophy, principle before party or principle before That's politics. Yep. And if we're rooted in biblical principles, you know, we won't, uh, we won't just check the box if a Republican gets in office and then just kind of forget about it. No, we'll hold them to the principles that we're standing for and that most of them probably run on, you know, to, to win the vote and then maybe forget about their promises or what they run on, right. that, we, that we should hold them accountable to those principles. And I think we as, uh, we as citizens need to be educated on the issues. Uh, as believers, we need to know what God's Word says about specific issues and how they play out in the public square. And um, sometimes that's complex. You know, there's a lot of gray areas, especially with the size and scope of government currently. Uh, how how do we apply those things? But right. we need to be having the conversation. I think pastors need to be addressing some they of the do. major yes. issues from the pulpit, um, and and not worry about you know being labeled a, a Christian nationalist or politicizing an event because they're preaching the Bible as it relates to po- politics. I believe we're supposed to be salt and light mm-hmm. and influencing culture, right. uh, and there's a way to do that. With, with love and humility and kindness in the public square too you know mm-hmm. I think that's one thing a lot of um, a lot of the uh, Christian politicians miss or that you know they have that label but are are you really speaking the truth in love really you know and, and yeah and are you just jumping into the political machine and tearing people down and slandering just as much as the next person right we that that's what does that look like? Of course, yeah, that's yeah. what they're going to say that we're doing when we when you speak, speak truth. truthfully yeah. of their bad votes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> speak truthfully of their bad voting record. They're going to say, no, you're lying. You're slandering me. You're calling me names. Actually, Jesus did all of those things. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You brood of vipers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He spoke the truth. Right, yeah. And it's, well, it's one thing for it to be true. It's another thing to, you know, that's to, right. to spin it or that's twist right. it, right? That's yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and I would just encourage you listening, one, you know, start praying for your politician know who your your representatives are you know some people listening may not even know who the rep, know who your representative is uh, meet them talk to them you know they're not uh, sitting in an ivory tower somewhere that you can't reach reach out to them and, and uh, make sure they know who you are and and let them know what you believe and what you want to see done same with your you know your school boards how mm-hmm. important is yep. your school board your your county councils, those types of people, we need to be praying for them because I want to see, you know, righteousness and peace and joy, aspects of God's kingdom, flourish in our society. And uh, those key key places of influence are important. We need to be praying for them, but we also need to be uh, speaking truth to them and and standing for righteousness in the public square. Um, and so we'd encourage you to do that. We're going to continue this conversation with with Jonathan, and uh, we want to talk about um, a particular bill that he has up. It's uh, House Bill 4046, the South Carolina Unborn Victims of Violence Act of 2021. We're going to talk more about that in a future episode. We're probably going to talk more about politics. I don't know how much time you have, but we're going to spend some time here talking. But I would encourage you um, to check out the, the episodes on our website and podcast. Uh, but more than anything, get engaged. And we need believers engaged in the public square. We need the Christian witness in the public square. Uh, we need you praying for the public square. But uh, get involved. Ask God what he would have you to do. And it may just look like a small step initially. Or it may look like you're going to run for office. Whatever it is, take that next step 
uh, because our children and grandchildren and our society needs it. Uh, So we encourage you to do that. We're glad that you tuned in today. We hope that you'll join with us next time. Until then, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's broadcast of Table Talk with the Greenville House of Prayer. We pray you've been encouraged and hope you'll join us next week as we continue to host Christian conversations that explore the scripture, promote prayer, and edify the body of Christ. For more information about Greenville House of Prayer or to contact us, please visit our website at ghopsc.org or connect with us on Facebook at the Greenville House of Prayer. The opinions expressed on today's program are those of the announcers, their guests, and callers, and do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of His Radio Talk, His Radio Network, or the Radio Training Network.